0: So tonight we start a new series in the book of Titus. And um, I'm going to read it, Ch- Titus chapter 1, um, just in two chunks. Um, so if you want to turn it up in the pew Bibles, it's 1, 1, 1, And in this first double section, we're just going to read verse 1 to 4. And Titus 1, verse 1 to 4 says this. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, For the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness, a faith and knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time, and at his appointed season he brought his word to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Savior, to Titus, my true son, in our common faith. Grace and peace from God the Father, and Christ Jesus our Savior. Continuing then with Titus chapter 1, from page 119, in verse 5. Paul says to Titus, The reason I left you in Crete was that you might straighten out what was left unfinished, and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. An elder must be blameless, the husband with but one wife, A man whose children believe, and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer is entrusted with God's work, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined he must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught, so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. For there are many rebellious people, mere talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision group. They must be silenced because they are ruining whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach, and that for the sake of dishonest gain. Even one of the own prophets has said, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in the faith and will pay no attention to Jewish myths or to the commands of those who reject the truth. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and consciences are corrupted. They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. They are detestable disobedient,
1: and unfit for doing anything good. Let us pray. Dear God, we thank you that we can come and worship you this evening, that Sunday is a free and special time where many people of all ages can come and listen to what you have to say to them. We especially pray for the children of the church. We thank you for all the kids and leaders who always go the extra mile to teach the children about you. We pray that that will be reflected in the knowledge and understanding that the children have about you Lord. We think about the children in this congregation who may be going through difficult situations and we pray that they will know that whatever circumstances they might face, you are always with them and know exactly how they are feeling. We pray for the boys and girls in the church who may be struggling in school That they will know your everlasting love is shining down upon them through every test and piece of work that they are doing and that they will know your love will never leave them or forsake them. Lord we are sorry for the times when we do not pray for the children in the church, for the times when we do not acknowledge the work you are doing in their lives and we pray that as a congregation we will be good examples to them. Lord, we are amazed at how fast the children are learning more about you and we pray that the schools they go to and the activities they take part in, they will do and get to know you better and help them to share the love of Jesus with everyone they meet. Amen.
2: Heavenly Father, in your providence you have placed us in families since the dawn of time. You have given us a blueprint for the way society should be structured and this is part of your perfect plan for how human beings should live. We thank you for your fatherly care for us in giving us families to love and to love us. Yet we know that even the first family who had heard your voice speaking to them directly rebelled and would not accept your right ways. So even in the first generation of children who were born we see jealousy and murder. And today, Lord, even Christian families are far from perfect. So we ask that you would be head of our households. We ask that you would give wisdom and perseverance to parents who are finding the job of parenting tough for one reason or another. We ask that they might seek your guidance in directing their children and commit them to you every morning as the only one who is able to guide them perfectly. Father, we ask for your protection in these days when the Christian family is under attack. We remember that marriage is a beautiful picture of the relationship between the Lord Jesus and his church. May Christian families be given your grace and strength to be lights in this dark world. Please, Father, also keep parents and grandparents aware of the little mission fields within their own families, so that they might teach their children and grandchildren the great truths of your word, and show them the ways of the Lord. Father, we would also bring before you the singles in our congregation. We ask that you would guide them in the ministries that you have chosen for them and that you would be head of their households too as you are head of the households of families. Lord, please grant that our congregation would move forward as one big family consisting of such a wonderful mixture of backgrounds, talents and callings and that no one, whether married or single, would feel themselves to be valued any less than anyone else in the church in which you have placed us. Amen.
3: Lord, we pray for our leaders here at Bloomfield. When we consider the high standards for leadership you have set in your word, which one of us could honestly answer that we're up to the job? Lord, we acknowledge the wonderful privilege and burden that it is to be overseers in this little corner of your church worldwide. And we say sorry for the many times of our personal conduct has not matched our fine words. For those in leadership who are married, may they serve their wives and husbands as Jesus served you, the Father. For those who are single, help them to find the right balance between serving friends, family members, and members of the church. Help us never to exploit each other's gifts or time. May those who live alone know that they are never truly alone, but are deeply loved by you and by their church family. Help us to have loving, real and accountable relationships. Relationships that are vulnerable and honest, supportive and Christ-honoring. Lord, get rid of the masks of respectability that we all wear, and help us to be truthful about our ups and downs. Lord, every time there's a baptism, we covenant to bring children up in the faith, whether we're parents or not. Help us all to take this awesome responsibility seriously and give the leaders of our children's and youth organizations real wisdom, to know how best to share your word and to model Jesus. Lord, be working even in our personalities and in our emotions. Forgive us for anger, for bad temper, for crossed words. Help those of us who are leaders to remember that this is your church. It doesn't belong to us. If there is resentment or discord between any of us, challenge us to be reconciled and give us grace in our relationships remembering that you have not treated us as we deserve. Help us in a world in which people would prefer to meet you in their image. to hold fast to truth, no matter what the cost, and to do so with love. And what we pray for our own church leadership, we pray for the leadership of BCI and the Worldwide Church, that our leaders would not be afraid to stand for Christ and would pursue relentlessly truth and justice
0: in Jesus'
4: name. Amen. Well, thank you very much indeed to Mark and to the team, and uh, thank you to Bonnie and to Anne and to Adam for leading us uh, so very helpfully. That was just wonderful. Um, Intergenerational prayer. It's good. Um, Now, I'm going to be… I'm going to… to impromptu uh, now. And Martin, Martin, uh, I know you're off duty, but, but you have to come up when I see you there, uh, for, for just a wee minute, if you will. Um, you know that I'm on Thought for the Day uh, this uh, uh, this series, uh, Wednesday mornings, and uh, one of my companions <laughs> this at uh, this time is Martin. Uh, you're also doing a series, and uh, I'm on Wednesday and you're on Friday, and uh, uh, it, it's a great privilege to do Thought for the Day, isn't it?
5: It really is. And maybe you might say something and that'll sort me out for Friday's Thought for today. <laughs>
4: <laughs> I don't know about that, but but actually, we've been sort of um, uh, sending each other emails of encouragement that's because right. it's good to be encouraged maybe when you say something that's, that's positive. Um, actually, this isn't the first time we've stood together talking about Thought for the Day because right. a couple of years ago, we were both invited to the Doc Cafe. That's right. Uh, Chris and, uh, and there were a number of uh, contributors to thought for the day and we were all sitting on a bench and we, we had to present one and then the, the crowd there had to tell us what they thought about it and, and if they liked it or what they liked about it and what they didn't but uh, you, you enjoy broadcasting
5: I do uh, I suppose um, I have to say there's something particularly good about the live thought for today I mean obviously the ones that are on Monday Tuesdays and Thursdays are recorded and they can be recorded weeks beforehand. But the lovely thing about the Friday is the opportunity of maybe something happening. It could be a conversation somewhere along the line. Heavens so no she as I say, you might hear this again on <laughs> Friday morning. And there's something, I think, particularly exciting and, and the whole spontaneity of it all. It's a real sense of privilege to have the opportunity to be able to share a thought for a, a couple of moments. Yes,
4: it really is. And uh, Martin, are you a Belfast boy?
5: No, I I grew up uh, 14 miles from here uh, in Aldergrove, just uh, very close to Loch Ness, but I've been living for the last 30 years or so in various parts of Belfast. I seem to move fairly regularly, so I'm either in North Belfast or in West Belfast, and I took a little sojourn to uh, Ballyclare for 11 months. I was was writing a book, so I had a chance to to finish it there.
4: Okay, and which parish are you working in?
5: It's called St John the Evangelist. It's on the Falls Road. It's just opposite the city centre.
4: Well, listen, Mark, we will undoubtedly have opportunity to discuss things again, if not uh, here, uh, at least over the airways, and uh, thank you for uh, for that contribution tonight, and lovely to see you uh, here. Thank you. Okay, so we're looking at uh, uh, Titus, and uh, uh, that's page 1198 in our Bibles. We're looking at uh, Ruth in the mornings and Titus in the evening. And um, as has been said, it's it's quite uh, uh, um, a book, isn't it? I don't think I've ever uh, preached on Titus before. Maybe you see why, but um, I wonder if anybody here has been to Crete. Okay, some of you have been to Crete. Um, I've, I've never been there, but I understand it is a very beautiful place. Yes. Any... Anybody want to say what is is good about Crete? I mean, I I don't know. You could say anything, and I would leave you. It's hot. Yeah, but it's hot here too. Uh, Timothy was there. Timothy was there. Titus. Titus -Titus was certainly there. (laughs) Maybe maybe Timothy was there as well. But, but no, Ruth, you're right, because uh, this is part of what we call the pastorals. And uh, there's a group of uh, Paul's letters... That are called the pastorals, and and that includes First and Second Timothy and Titus. So we're not far off. Okay. Anything else about Crete? I mean. Uh You're, 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 you've been able to live to tell the tale, Susan. Uh, w- well done. Uh, good. Uh, I'm told that it is the fifth largest island in the Mediterranean, and uh, it's an island with many natural harbours, uh, ideally placed to service the rest of the Mediterranean region. Now, uh, the people that you met there, what were they like? They were what? They were lovely, great food. Great food. All right, well, that's, that's nice to hear as well because uh, this uh, letter was set in Crete and uh, it was written l- by the Apostle Paul to Titus who had been left there and um, there was a Greek word at the time when this was written and it was called uh, kretizo, K-R-E-T-I-Z-O, and that word means liar. Because in the ancient world, uh, to be someone from Crete, a Cretan, uh, was, to, uh, was the same word as liar. Well, how about that? Uh, the two words were, were put as synonymous. If I were to say Balamina man, what do you immediately think? Mean. How many people here from Balamina? Uh, and uh, you know, the, he who generalizes generally lies, isn't that right? But but um, people get a reputation, and uh, Balamina men get a reputation of um, of being tight with their money, and and people from Crete had this reputation, uh, unfortunately, of being liars. Cretan culture was notorious. Uh, I understand the ancient world uh, for. Uh, treachery and for greed. Seemingly, most of the men on the island had served as mercenaries. In other words, they were soldiers who were prepared to work for the highest bidder, and the island cities were known to be unsafe, plagued with violence and sexual corruption. But for all those reasons, it's interesting that Paul doesn't avoid uh, Crete, but In actual fact, he makes a very definite and determined decision uh, to to prioritize it as a place, verse 5, for appointing elders in order to build and strengthen the infant and fragile early church. Um, Recently, someone described um, to me a place where they had had visited as, as somewhere where there was a lot of occult activity. Well, if you were the Apostle Paul and you heard such a thing, uh, that would be a very incentive for g- going to that place rather than as a, a reason for avoiding uh, such a place. Because, because those with a gospel outlook believe that the light is stronger than the darkness uh, and love is stronger than fear. And so, while Christians certainly are to be careful going any place or situation which is considered dark, Christian believers are not to be put off by stories of danger and difficulty, but to be emboldened by the Lord Jesus, who is altogether more powerful. Isn't it a wonderful thing when when the Lord Jesus encountered someone with leprosy, um, he wasn't afraid to touch the leper, because his healing made the leper well ordinarily uh, people would be terrified in case a leper were to touch you because you would then be infected by his disease. But with the Lord Jesus, it was the other way round. And so Paul is writing to Titus and he said, look, we need to strengthen the uh, infant, the early church here, and uh, let's give it all the energy that we have. So we can see from uh, chapter one, verse one, that it is from Paul to Titus, who he describes as my true son in our common faith. And he encourages him, verse 5, as you can see, to uh, straighten out what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town. And that's the the context of this letter, and it can just uh, help us imagine both the sender and the receiver of this letter. It helps us visualize the place Uh, in which the apostle's young mentoree and helpmate was located. Uh, Titus, by the way, is mentioned at least three times in 2 Corinthians, and there we see that he was uh, uh, someone who was utterly dependable and he was really appreciated by Paul the older man. But just before we come to the specific responsibility that uh, Paul had entrusted to Titus. So, we look for just a moment at how the letter begins, and it's very instructive because it starts, Paul, a servant of God and apostle of Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior, verse 4. Now, does that mean that the Holy Spirit doesn't matter since he's not mentioned here? Uh, Well, not at all. If you glance over at chapter 3, verse 5, you see a very important um, reference to the Holy Spirit. Uh, God, our Savior, saved us um, not because of the righteous things we have, had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us how? Through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through uh, Jesus Christ, our Savior. So the the Holy Spirit is absolutely central uh, to what the Apostle is talking about here. Without the Holy Spirit, there would be no spiritual life. There would be no eternal hope. Without the Holy Spirit who proceeds from the Father and the Son, there would neither be regeneration or rebirth. But here we read that Paul is a servant of God and apostle of Jesus Christ. It's interesting, isn't it, to see how the apostle himself, designates himself. I'm I'm sure there are lots of ways in which Paul could have introduced himself, but the word he chooses here is actually even less glamorous than the one that we've got here in our translations. He is a doulos. In other words, he is a slave of God. Uh, Paul, not just a servant of God, but a slave. Uh, A servant is hired, a slave is owned. So to this place where many of the men had hired themselves out to the highest bidder, Paul accepts a posture of lowly servitude. He is a servant to God before he attempts to serve God. He has submitted his will to God before he encourages anybody else to submit to God. So, his purpose as a servant of God, he highlights in verse 1, it is for the faith of God's elect and for the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. What was Paul's purpose in life? What was his raison d'etre? Well, uh, he had two main reasons for living. One, to help people within whom God was already at work to come to faith in Jesus. He exists for the faith of God's elect. So that those within whom God is already at work by the by the Holy Spirit, he would, he would be able to draw to Jesus. He was an evangelist. That was, that was his main first purpose. He was there in order to, to draw people to Jesus. And the second purpose is to help people who had got saved, and, and that's the language that we find in verse uh, 5 of chapter 3. Uh, those who had been saved through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, he was there to help those new Christians to grow and mature in their faith and knowledge of God. Well, Well, that's a great double purpose in life, isn't it? To help people find faith, and then help people grow in their faith. What's your reason for living, I wonder? Why has God placed you on planet Earth? It's very good to know what our purpose is. And Paul's purpose was twofold, to cooperate with the Holy Spirit in bringing those God who already been at work into faith in Jesus and to enable people, once they had come to faith, to become captive to the knowledge of the truth. Verse 1 that leads to godliness. Isn't that a beautiful phrase? God is a God of truth. Therefore, he does not lie, verse 2. Can you see the contrast that uh, Paul was making here with the people of Crete, who unfortunately, world over, were known as liars, verse 12, and evil brutes and lazy gluttons, dear love them. But here's an alternative lifestyle. Here is Uh, an attractive way of living because the gospel is both for telling and for living out the truth that leads to godliness. Isn't that our reason as well? In a world where there are so many untruths, fake news, Maybe we should call it by its name, lies. Our purpose is to know Jesus and share his love, to tell the good news and to live the good news, to draw people that God is already at work in to faith in Jesus and to strengthen them in their, in their faith. Um, all being well, our BPC brochure will be available next Sunday, and that will be distributed to about 10,000 households within this community. And is it not our prayer that as those leaflets go into different houses, that they will arrive with people that are already asking questions, that, that God by his Holy Spirit is already working in their hearts, and this leaflet comes through at just the right moment at the right time, and say, yeah, that's, that's something I'll pick up. That's something that I will... Engage with that. That's a place I can maybe go and find help, and maybe find Jesus. And if that is the case, it's not the first time that this happened. But we can pray to that end, can't we? Um, so that's our purpose: to to live and to share the good news of Jesus. Uh, we're not we're not just uh, encouraged to uh, do this so that people might become clever they might become more knowledgeable, but that people will live godly lives, lives that reflect our Lord and Master Jesus Christ. As douloses, as slaves of God, that's how we as members of Bloomfield are to live. We want to live our lives for God. That then brings us to the specific task and the particular responsible that Titus has been given by the Apostle. And that is to appoint godly leaders or elders in every town, because no church will ever be stronger than the quality of the leadership found in the congregation. Will I say that again? No church will ever be stronger than the quality of the leadership found in any congregation. And that then is a way into verses six through to 16. The membership of a particular congregation will rarely, if ever, be more spiritual than the leaders entrusted with the eldership. And that's a rather sobering thought, isn't it? But absolutely true. And that's why Paul then gives some guidelines to Titus as to the sort of qualities which he ought to be looking for when appointing leaders in the various churches in Crete. An elder must be blameless, verse 6, the husband, of, but one wife. Uh, I'm very relieved it says blameless here, not sinless. Uh, the Scriptures don't, don't demand sinlessness, but it does require blamelessness. In other words, there should be no whiff of scandal about a leader in the church, nor any accusations leveled against them. They ought not to have a questionable character. It's very interesting, isn't it, that they The New Testament uh, isn't concerned nearly as much about the duties of an elder, um, but the characteristics. Our society is obsessed with what jobs people do. What do our elders do? How am I supposed to do the task of eldership? But actually, before we even think about what leaders of the Church of Jesus Christ do in the Scriptures, here we see what characteristics leaders are to have, their character, their nature, their behavior. And so here we see some of the qualities looked for by Paul uh, in godly leadership. They will be people, verse 6, whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. I was thinking about this principle um, when we were in Nepal. Uh, One of the privileges was to visit a church where the congregation that morning was sending out one of its young people uh, to plant another congregation in another part of Kathmandu. And this young man had been the youth worker in the congregation, and he was being sent out for this task before he even applied to become a theological candidate for ministry. In Nepal, it is impossible for you even to make application for leadership, for training, unless you have at, at least planted one church. Uh, and I was thinking about this as, as, as a principle, isn't it? It's the same principle here. Paul is working from the least to the greater, from the small to the tall. Um, if you've shown responsibility at one level, then that will give an indication that you'll be able to handle greater responsibility. This is moving from the nuclear family to the church family. As a person has demonstrated his or her ability to run a godly home, so then there is some possibility that they may make a reasonable attempt to run a congregation in a godly way. So that's the lesser to the greater. And so it would be strangely inappropriate, uh, says Paul, for somebody who has wild and ill-disciplined children to be entrusted with God's children and the well-being of God's church. So since an overseer is entrusted with God's work, verse 7, he must be uh, five things and he must not be five things. So, do you see the list in verse 7? Here are the five things that a leader must not be. He must not be a bully, uh, overbearing. He must not be quick-tempered, easily angered. He must not be given to drunkenness. He must not be violent. He must not be someone who is pursuing dishonest gain, a lover of money. And those are… Uh, the things that leaders in God's church must not be. Rather, a leader, verse 8, must be, and here are five more uh, um, qualities. Uh, They must be hospitable. That is, someone who opens up their home uh, and opens up their life to other people. Um, There's no way of saying, look, this is my home. Uh, My home is my castle, and I am going to Withdraw to it. no. If God has entrusted something as, as wonderful as a home, then that is to be utilised uh, for the for the benefit of other people, for the for the work of God's ministry. Um, a leader must be somebody who loves what is good. In other words, sees the positive things in people rather than being critical. An overseer ought to be self-controlled. Uh, an elder needs to be upright, verse 8. And fifthly, they ought to be holy and disciplined. And this says the apostle to Titus is what godliness looks like. Uh, These are the sorts of characteristics you must be looking out for when you uh, straighten out what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town. And again, you can see how godly behavior is predicated by holding firmly to the truth, verse 9. Even as verse 1 tells us that it is the truth that leads to godliness, so verse 9 tells us that it is the truth that produces Christ-likeness. In verses 10 through to 12, we're given an insight into so-called talkers and deceivers, especially in what was known then as the circumcision group. Those who by their teaching have been ruining whole households by their teaching. Uh, These people ought not to teach. So, Paul has clearly seen that false teaching leads to ungodly behavior. Whereas true teaching based on the Scriptures leads to godly behavior. Um, Should we be surprised at that? There's a very close link between the two. Well, I'm going to say something now that's both topical and controversial. The church, as you know, has recently been criticized um, by uh, secular society for its stand on marriage as being exclusively between one man and one woman. And actually, the church has been lambasted as uncaring and unloving towards people who are in same-sex relationships. I'm the first to acknowledge that PCI is not perfect, and we could and perhaps should have been more careful in how we went about things. But essentially Titus 1 tells us that it is the truth that leads to godly behavior. And if the church and if particularly the leaders of God's church compromise on the truth, then do not be surprised if the outworking of that does not lead to greater godliness, but to the opposite. It may only be one generation, but it's as inevitable as could be If the uh, leaders do not hold what is true to God's word, then the church actually has nothing different to say, any way countercultural to the society in which we live. I'm on record as saying, and I'm happy to say it again, that some of the people I admire most, include, including, incidentally, Sam Albury, who is speaking this week. At the evening celebrations in New Horizons. Some of the people I admire most are those who are in same sex, uh, who are same sex attracted, attracted, but nonetheless, for the sake of the gospel and the honor of Christ's holy name, have submitted their sexuality to the lordship of Christ and are seeking to live holy and blameless and godly lives. Such people are to be admired. Because that is in keeping with the scriptures here. Uh, incidentally, I always give away a book, and the, and the book that I want to give away, and, and particularly tonight, I, I guess I ought to give this to an elder, to a leader, and it's called A Better Story: God, Sex, and Human Flourishing by Glenn Harrison. Uh, what if we imagined what it reimagined what it means to be made sexual in the image of God? what if we left behind the broken promises of the sexual revelation to tell a better story of our own? Glyn Harrison was formerly the professor of psychiatry at uh, the University of Bristol. And Vaughan Roberts has said, this is a superb model of how Orthodox Christians should address the subject of sex and marriage today. So so the first elder who says, I'd like to read that, uh, then uh, you, you can have it. Adam, you want it, um, you can have it on the condition you pass it on to another elder, all right, when you're finished. So there's our, our freebie for, for tonight. Um, so this is part of the challenge, isn't it, uh, for, for leaders, uh, to, to hold to the truth, not because the truth is comfortable, but because the truth is in God's character. He does not lie. He is a god uh, who, is, uh, who is himself godly. And that's what he wants to, for, for those who follow in his way. False teaching, verse 10, we're told leads to the ruin of whole households by teaching things that they ought not to teach. Such people claim to know God, verse 16, but by their actions deny him. Whereas good and godly leaders, verse 9, hold firmly to the trustworthy message as has been taught so that they can encourage one another by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. So so Paul says, actually, it's not just enough for Christian leaders to to know themselves what they believe, but it's actually imperative that those in leadership, uh, those responsible for children and for teenagers and young adults and seniors, are reading material, are are learning, are, are imbibing the truth To help uh, engage with those who have alternative positions and be able uh, to even rebuke where necessary, verse 13, so that they will in turn be sound in the faith. Now, these things are not easy. This isn't an easy time to be a Christian. It's a really challenging time for those who would be leaders in the church of Christ Jesus, but... Titus chapter 1 reminds us that actually there's nothing new under the sun. 2,000 years ago, it was exactly the same. Now, the presenting issues may be different, but the underlying issue is exactly the same. And so, grace and peace to you from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. What is it that the Apostle Paul wanted more than anything else. Paul is slave of God, verse 1, and the apostle of Christ Jesus for the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. What does he want? That's what the apostle, bound to his Lord and Master Jesus by bonds of love, is constrained for the faith, verse 2. To share the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, has promised before the beginning of time. What Paul here is contending for is nothing short than people's eternal destinies. That's it. Let's not be too dramatic about it, but here we're talking about the eternal consequences and that's why we need to hear God's truth and why we need to live it. Would we pray? And I'm hugely conscious that for some of us this is desperately difficult. Let's not hesitate to have conversations with ourselves. About these things and with God himself. But Heavenly Father, your, your word is, is sometimes really difficult to take, not because you are being difficult, but because you are absolutely pure and holy and truthful, and we are not. But your word is given to us not to wound us, but to heal us, not to crush us, but to make us whole. Thank you for Jesus, who is altogether pure, altogether clean, altogether lovely. And as we wrestle with the truth, enable us to submit to your lordship of our lives. And not only for our sake, ourselves, but for the sake of our, our dear families, our households for the benefit of our congregation and community and standing in the nation. These are prayers we make in the name and for the sake of Christ our Lord, who renews us by the Holy Spirit.